On today's Locked On Thunder podcast, it's finally game day. The Oklahoma City Thunder take on the Chicago Bulls tonight in the Windy City. What should you expect from the Thunder this season? What's the best, the worst, the most likely case scenario for this team? Who will win the Thunder team-specific awards? And what's on the line this year for OKC? We have it all for you on today's Locked On Thunder podcast. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder podcast, on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, media member, and editor-in-chief over at thunderousintentions.com, Ryland Styles. Follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LOThunderPod. Email the show, LOThunderPod at gmail.com. Join the Locked On Thunder insiders at subtext.com slash Locked On Thunder. That way you can get... Injury reports, breaking news, rumors, what's happening behind the scenes, and my quarterly updates on what I'm thinking about throughout the game, what I'm watching for throughout the game. Plus, you get moved to the front of the line on our mailbag episodes that we do each week. On today's show, we're diving into the best, the worst, and the most likely case scenario for the Oklahoma City Thunder this year. Who will win some Thunder team-specific awards? What to watch for tonight versus the Bulls? And... Can the Thunder avoid a slow start? All that's coming up. But first, let's talk about what's on the line this season. Before we get into our annual tradition of telling you the best, worst, and most likely outcome, we do this for every big event, summer league, draft, the actual season, the play-in tournament last year. So I I like to kind of break it down in those three tiers. But it's, it's important to know before we talk about those three tiers just what's on the line this year. This is the most anticipated season since 2017. You can argue it's one of the the most anticipated seasons in franchise history. It's the first season in which this young core has some expectations put on them and that Thunder fans are back living and dying with each game, with each passing possession. There's going to be massive swings of emotion one way or the other, massive overreactions. And what's cool is that, like, the team itself, they're, they're, they have a unique ability to shut out all the outside noise, and it's, and it's partly due to the head of the snake and Mark. Like, he is, he is very good at, at deterring away the outside noise. But we all know it's there as fans and media. Like, we all see it. And so watching this team respond to – having people project them to be top four in the NBA, like Bill Simmons, like Woj saying that they have four future all-stars, like the, the, the expectation, the hype, the excitement has transcended Bricktown and has gone national. And we saw how that last iteration of the team dealt with it. How will this team deal with it? You know what? the national folks don't like to be is wrong. And so 
if the Thunder do stumble out of the blocks, they're going to hear a lot of uh, overblown questions and theatrics from the national media. If they are uh, hot out of the gate, they're going to hear a lot of victory laps prematurely. And it's just a matter of seeing how this all unfolds. But when you talk about on the court, you know, you're adding Chet Holmgren, you're adding Kaysen Wallace, you're adding uh, uh, Michich to the fold. You know, J-Dub is due for a more featured offensive role, or, or at least for him to be more aggressive offensively. You're still going to have SGA and his pairing with Josh Giddy under a microscope. But most importantly, what's on the line this season for the Thunder is it's yet another just fun year. Because... We're going to go through the best and the worst and the most likely case scenario, but no matter where the Thunder fall in that tree, nothing is going to be disappointing. Short of like falling off of an absolute cliff, nothing will be disappointing. Now, they might not hit their ceiling, but like it's not going to be this devastating, dark, tumultuous season if they're back in the play-in tournament or if they miss the play-in tournament by even a game or a game and a half. And it's going to be exhilarating if they hit their ceiling, which we're going to talk about what that is right now. But ultimately, what's important to note as we head to this season, and I, and I am just supremely excited about this year because I, I believe that the Thunder, both locally and their national fans also, and international fans also, are among the best fans in the NBA. And I took over this podcast in May of 2020. And so we had the bubble run, uh, but this is the first time where this has been our show. This has been our Locked on Thunder iteration under a season where fans are really dialed in. And so it's exciting. Now, the best case scenario for this Thunder team, if everything broke their way and just went swimmingly, went perfectly, I think is that the best case scenario is the Thunder finish with home court advantage in the, in the, in the Western conference. They at least have it for the first round uh, and, and they finish with 48 to 50 wins. And for that to happen, it would take SGA being a first team, all NBA player. Again, it would take Chet Holmgren uh, being clear in a way, the best rookie in this class. And I'm not going to say win rookie of the year, because I think that that will be, decided you know tomorrow as as each make their debut if victor just gets out of bed tomorrow and plays the mavericks he will win rookie of the year but by the numbers it's clear who the best rookie was it has to be chet uh, averaging a double double to two plus blocks per game like if he can do that if he can reach his ceiling then that changes what this team can do because he has a unique situation where him reaching his ceiling transforms everything for the thunder like last year Jada reaching his ceiling because it came in the, in the form of, of fitting exactly like the Thunder wanted to play. It helped the Thunder win a lot more games and it helped the Thunder out tremendously. Whereas you see other rookies where they individually play as good of a rookie year as they possibly can, but it doesn't net them a ton of wins, you know, their team, a ton of wins, partly because, you know, they don't have the talent around them. And partly because at that ripe age, you're not exactly playing, uh, NBA style of basketball in terms of conducive to winning. So Chet being being at his peak would have to happen for them to be a top three seed. There's no world where they can be a top three, top four seed without Chet being just incredible this year. I really feel confident in Jada taking an added leap this year. 
at each side of the floor. You saw the raw potential defensively last year. I think he was a better defender last year than he got credit for. For, for a rookie to be average on the perimeter as a defender, especially with what Jada was tasked to do, he, he defended every position on the floor, oftentimes was, was overmatched uh, size-wise, and he still grades out on synergy as an as a average defender uh, as a rookie. Like That is a really good season. That is a really good season for, for Jada defensively. They added muscle and just his savviness and length defensively. I think he takes a massive leap on that end of the floor especially with now you're funneling it into Chet Holmgren and you're just team-wide playing better defense. I also think that he's a lot better offensively where he can go initiate and go get himself a bucket uh, a lot better this year than he could last year, and we know what he can do off ball. We know what he can do in terms of getting set up by his teammates. To be a top-four seed, though, you also have to have Josh Giddey become a better on-ball scorer. If he can become a better on-ball scorer, it opens up the floor for everybody else and opens up the floor for him to take advantage of his best trait, which is his playmaking. Because if you have to adjust your defense at all to Josh Kitty, I think that's the most important part. Because to me, people are hung up on his three-point shooting. Let's say Josh Kitty shoots 35% from three, 36% from three even, 37% from three even this year. That will be very good. Like that would be wonderful. It does not bend the defense. I I I don't believe that defenses would adjust to it. They didn't adjust to J Will shooting forty percent last year. Like they're, they they still to this day have not adjusted to J Will shooting forty percent last year from three. That is something that they are willing to live with. Now I think if Josh Giddy can become a better on ball scorer, where he is just getting downhill and punishing smaller guards at the rim, and then stopping and hitting it in the mid range, you saw him in FIBA doing this exact thing. I think that that bends your defense way more than if he improves his three-point shot dramatically because even improving that, you're not improving your overall team gravity. Whereas if you can get downhill and you can score at will at the rim, eventually someone will just crash and rotate over and you know Josh Giddy has the prowess, the vision, the passing chops to make you pay when you do that. And so I think that that would be the big step for Josh and not his three-point shooting that would help them leap into home court advantage territory, top four in the West, top three in the West, uh, if they can get there. I, I think that in the perfect world, Lou Dort will become a more efficient player just by nature of having better players around him and reducing his role and reducing his responsibility. I think another reason why you could see this team hit their ceiling is that you had one of the best coaches in the NBA, you know, tactically, but also management-wise of managing rotations and managing egos and managing players and motivating players night in and night out in a, in a long marathon season. I mean, you look at the schedule, even just this upcoming week, it's very daunting. Even just by the time you get back from this road trip, you're playing every other day, every other day, every other day you're playing even home games still, but it's, it's just, it's exhausting. And so it's already begun, you know, the, the whole marathon aspect of it. And so I think that Mark is, is the right guy for the job. Uh, and, and I think that that, dramatically helps you reach either your best ceiling or just help you helps you level out in general. I personally am a huge fan of J-Will. Uh, I, I think that J-Will played really well last year. And when you bottle that up in an even smaller package, it makes for a greater impact for J-Will as a guy who can shoot the three and knock it down wide open, a guy who can play make in the high post, which the Thunder like to, to utilize as. I think he's gotten a lot better at setting screens this season uh, in the small sample size we saw at preseason and at training camp. And he just looks overall like a more sharp player. Now, 
he's out tonight dealing with a hamstring injury. Kendrick Williams is out with a back injury, but you saw last year how polar opposite that team looked before Kenny went out and afterward because Kenny just ties this together. Like Kendrick Williams ties what the Thunder want to do together because he can play the small ball five so effectively. He's your best small ball five. But even whenever you don't need him at small ball five, he's one of your best fours as well. So, so there's so much that Kendrick Williams can do that you need him healthy, you need him playing, and especially defensively, uh, especially for that secondary unit. I firmly believe Isaiah Joe is one of the best bench weapons in the league with what he can do three-point shooting-wise and the, and the lack of credit he gets defensively for how good he is defensively. Again, not an elite point-of-attack defender, but still a really good defender for his size and for his ability. And then you just have to mix in other guys. You, you mix in Thomas Bertans' flamethrowing for five-ish minutes a night. You put in Wiggins, who's a, just a winning player who can score at all three levels, who can defend, who can play make. Usman Jang has these raw tools. He's looked a lot better in preseason, looked a lot better in summer league. You can kind of pencil him in a little bit for, for a possible breakout. I think Cason Wallace is a player from the word go on both ends of the floor. I think defensively he can absolutely switch and, and disrupt and and add winning plays to your defense. And offensively, he fits right in with the system. Like he's, I don't think he's going to be a world beater offensively, but I think he'll play his role in such a way where it heightens his production and heightens his reputation. And then to hit your best peak of your powers, you'd also wonder if you could get November Poku. But we'll talk more about that later on in the show. Poku's going to win an award, and it's not exactly going to be an award uh, that you want to win. We'll talk about that coming up. I also want to tell you right now, though, about our good friends over at Prize Picks because Prize Picks is great. And so you get 100% deposit match up to $100 with code locked on. I love Prize Picks, and I've used it already this year for all sports, really. I've used it for NFL, I've used it for college football. Hey, shout out Prize Picks pretty much every week. And I know they're playing the Sooners this week, so don't throw tomatoes at me, but Devin Neal. Over uh, more on rushing yards at Prize Picks, I've been I've been very much enjoying that one. Uh, I've also already made some Prize Picks on the first two NBA games this year, so Prize Picks great. So what you do is uh, you have to pick a minimum of two players, and you pick if they're going to do more or less than their projections. So for example, there is one Thunder. You know, there's a couple of Thunder ones out there, but one of them is SGA more or less than a half a block tonight. So if he gets one block and you and you put more, you've already won. And I, I like that one. I really do. There's there's one for uh, Chet Holmgren points at more or less than 13 and a half uh, points. I like that one too. So you can go to Price Picks and have some fun and use the code locked on. So go there right now to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. When you do and use code locked on NBA on your first deposit, you get it matched up to $100. It's, it's brilliant. It is perfect. You get 100% match up to $100. Check it out today, right now, at prizepicks.com slash LockedInNBA. That's prizepicks, code LockedInNBA on the App Store, Google Play Store, and also, of course, prizepicks.com slash LockedInNBA. So we talked best case scenario, and I think that everyone kind of agrees with what this ceiling is, and some people are willing to go out there and, and project that, that top ceiling to happen like Bill Simmons, and other people are kind of more reserved on this team. I think it's interesting to talk about now the flip side of what's the worst-case scenario. Everything breaks against the Thunder. Now, a note on worst-case scenario. Technically speaking, 
for all 30 teams, the worst case scenario is your top four or five players have season ending injuries and the season is now gone and you're 0-82. Just as we're not going to predict 82-0, and not going to predict 0-82, not going to predict injuries. This is like if this team plays and if these guys are on the court, what's the worst they can be? And when you look at that for the Thunder, it's it's rather interesting. What if they take a long time to gel? Like these are a, these are a lot of new pieces. And it's new pieces where they're going to shuffle through minutes and lineups and and roles, right? That's one thing about Mark is he's going to change the rotation. He's going to change the workload. He's going to change the lineups that you're playing with. And, and night to night, you might see 20 minutes. You might see 30. You might see zero. Night to night, you might play with one lineup that you've play with, played with the last three games, and the rest of the time you're out there with t- a totally new group. So what if it it takes a little bit to get comfortable and to get on the same page as their team and as their teammates? This is also still an incredibly young team. And when young teams play close games, they typically lose. However, me personally, I'm not a big believer in that in the regular season. I, I, I think that the clutch time like does not impact age in the regular season. It's more of a playoff thing. But sometimes the ball just simply bounces against you. And one, and there's been two things, actually, that's been stuck in my mind since Sam Presti's pressers over the summer. The first one is Sam Presti talking about finishing the breakfast, and this team is still under 500. What he said is, the Thunder have played two great months, and that's it. What does it look like outside of those two months? And it ties in with the second thing that's been stuck in my head is that the the sky will fall on an NBA team twice a year, is what Sam Presti has said. So if two great months were the reason why the Thunder had such a surprise year last year, what, if any, regression is there from those two great months? And in the Western Conference, which will be decided by, I, I really genuinely believe that the Western Conference top to bottom will be decided uh, by a game and a half in in the sense of like one through 10 will be decided by, you know, of course, take away one, two, and three, like four through 10 is going to be decided by a couple of games. And so when the margin for error is such a thin, thin margin, when the sky falls, if it's going to fall twice a year guaranteed, when it falls, it's just as big of a deal as for how long and, and for as if it falls. And the, the other thing is that Mark's talked about how the, the Thunder have gained the respect of the NBA and they're not going to sneak up on teams. I mean, personally, I, I, I've heard this a lot from fans too. I, I don't really buy into it. I, I don't believe that like past November, teams rolled into Oklahoma City and just said, ah, we're not going to try tonight. And, you know, Boston rested some guys and Jason Tatum, uh, what was that? Was that January last year where Jason Tatum said that they just didn't take the game seriously enough? I think that the Celtics would have done that, though, against any team that night. Whoever they were would have played on that specific night, they would have done that. They would have, they would have slept-walked. They, would have not, they were in the midst of a terrible stretch for them. Now, now the Clippers baseball-style series, and then like the fourth game of the year, that was, I think, the Clippers not taking the Thunder seriously and trying to steal a couple of games on load, load management. But ultimately, I think that it all balanced out. Like I, I, I'm a believer that whenever you play 82 games, 
you are what your record says you are because you also look at the Thunder schedule and they lost to the Pistons, right? They lost to uh, the Hornets in a dire need of a game. Like, it all balances out. You might steal some wins. You're also going to give away some losses. So I, 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 just, I just don't know what's sneaking up on the Thunder. You know, they're not, not going to sneak up on teams even means. But for the sake of argument and for the sake of the, West, the, the worst case scenario, let's just say that the entire NBA, all 30 teams in the National Basketball Association, you know what they're doing. All 30 teams are gearing up and they want to come to the Paycom Center and they want to impose their will on the best young core in the NBA. Let's just say that, right? How does this Thunder team handle it? Here's one of the things I'm 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 kind of iffy on even even discussing would be like, look, Jay Will's dealing with a hamstring injury, Kenny Hustle's dealing with a back injury. You know, back spasms and hamstrings typically can linger. However, it doesn't seem to be there's any indication that that'll be the case for these two guys. But more on the court stuff, does the lack of size begin to hurt the Thunder? And tied in with that is how will the league adjust now to OKC? This Thunder team that they know is going to try to force turnovers, they know wants to play fast, they know wants to use cuts and utilize pick and roll. How do they start to adjust to the Thunder and, and game plan for the Thunder exclusively? And then my other issue with like the worst case scenario is, what if flipping through the rotation is too hard or too confusing or or just you you, you don't have the right puzzle pieces each night? And, and, and maybe you, you outthink yourself or outsmart yourself. What if it takes Chet Holmgren some time to adjust to the NBA? And in the preseason, it does not look like that's the case. He looks incredible in the preseason. But historically, rookie big men do not fare well in the league, historically. Now, now Chet can certainly be one of those, those guys who bucks that trend, but it is a trend for a reason. And then you have Michich, who I, I really think that like if all goes well, he'll play a key role in this team of like, being what I've been calling a pass the baton player where, where you want to have your starters come out of the game, give him the baton, he runs that second unit, and he and he either maintains or extends whatever's happening in the game or, or lessens the gap or extends your leader, maintains where the game's at, and, and is kind of in charge of your roster. But what if he struggles to translate to the NBA? So if all these negative things happen that we've just laid out there, what's the outcome? I think that the worst case scenario for the standard team is 40 to 42 wins and they're the 10th seed. And again, 10th seed is relative because I just, I just got done telling you that I think that this, the margin of error will be a game, game and a half in that range. So like technically, yeah, there could be 11, but, but I do believe this team's a playing team. Like at worst, they're a playing team. So that's where I'm going to go with worst case scenario. Now, what's the most likely case scenario? I think the most likely case scenario, as you, as you saw in my NBA uh, preview episode yesterday, the Thunder finish with a top six seed in the West and they avoid the play-in tournament in a positive way. They all play together. And, and there's a few dark clouds in there this year. And, and there could be some dark clouds right out of the gate, which we'll talk about coming up. But ultimately, the Thunder have one of the best transition offenses in the league. They have a top 10 defense in the NBA. And they take advantage of being this exciting young team that has the city buzzing, that, that is the talk of the NBA. And they run with that opportunity. They run with, with, that, with that energy. 
because I, I think that when people play coy about, ah, you know, I don't, I don't really like how people are uh, high on the thunder this year. I, I think it's a bit of a, of a, of a double entendre, double edged sword. What's the doubles word I'm looking for? It's a bit of a McDouble where it's like, we can't say throughout the regular season and throughout the play, postseason, like, you know, these guys really fed off our energy tonight. They fed off the fans' energy. The crowd was great. And then, like, during these three months of the offseason, say, well, you know, there's just too much hype around them. Do they feed off of that energy or not? And I personally think that this young team will feed off of the energy. And I think that they will feed off of the expectations. And they will play well. And I think that they're going to finish top six in the West, which is quite the accomplishment. So that's where I have the best, the worst, and the most likely case scenario. Let me know yours down below on YouTube and on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. And coming up, who's going to win some Thunder team awards? What to watch for tonight against the Bulls? And will the Thunder stumble out of the gates? We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you. Talking Thunder basketball. Folks, Thunder Awards. So MVP, obvious, it's Shea. Now, non-Shea answer, I think it's Chet Holmgren. And, and we're going to be debating this all year long. Uh, all year long, the debate's going to be within the fan base of who's the number two player? Who's the second best player on the Thunder? Why is it Josh Giddy? No, it's J-Dub. No, it's Chet. Who's number two? All year. That's what it's going to be. For me... The reason I have Chet as the non-Shea MVP is that I think that the dynamic that he brings to the floor on both sides of the ball is the most valuable besides Shea. The rim protection, the rebounding, the deflections, the switchability defensively, the roaming ability defensively, all of the things he does on the end of the floor is insanely valuable. And, and was the missing cog in last year's team. And then offensively, what we've seen so far, I, I wholeheartedly buy into the three-point shot. I buy into him being able to, of course, cut and be utilized in the pick and roll, pick and pop, uh, and finish at the rim. But I also buy into his free throw rate. Like, he was getting to the line at a pretty good clip in the preseason, and that is the difference in the world and scoring in the NBA is can you get to the line and can you cash in at the line? I believe in Chet as an offensive weapon. And I believe that Chet is going to be the one who complements the rest of these players offensively, like SGA. And then you can even throw in Giddy and J-Dub as well. Compliments them the best offensively. And thus he'll be able to, uh, uh, you know, eat, so to say, off of the success of everyone else. And, and you know, Again, going back to the word valuable, it's a great thing that you have all four of them, right? That's a, that's a wonderful thing. In a pinch, though, this is the way that I would describe it. In a pinch, if you had to get by for a, for a two-week stretch of this year and the league said, you know what? The Thunder are too good. You got to sit one of these four guys. You're not sitting Shea. And I don't think you're sitting chat because if you had to sit J-Dub for two weeks, you could piece together a J-Dub role for two weeks. It's kind of like Moneyball. You could recreate him in the aggregate. You could throw at the wall 
here's here's 10 Wiggins minutes, here's 10 Kenny Hustle minutes, here's 10 minutes from Usman Jang, and you figure it out for two weeks. With Josh Giddy, you wouldn't be able to recreate him because of what he does and because of his skill set is, is so much in a, in a contrast with what the rest of this roster does, but you'd be able to fill in the production of like, if Josh Giddy had to sit for two weeks, yes, Cason Wallace is a, is a much different player stylistically, but he would form that level of production in a different way from Josh Giddy. Whereas there's no one who you can recreate Chet with. So that's why I say he's the second most valuable player. Defensive player of the year. You might think it's obvious. It probably should be Lou Dort. But I'm drinking the Chet Holmgren Kool-Aid. I'll say Chet's the defensive player of the year uh, because of the, the different layers that he can use. But even I'm even saying it, I'm not I'm not confident that I can dethrone Lou Dort. Sixth man of the year. It's it's to me, it's got to be Isaiah Joe or Kenny Hustle. Like these are the two answers I think that we would get the most responses of is Joe or Kenny Hustle. And I side with Isaiah Joe in that in in that prediction. My breakout player of the year is Jay Will. I'm all in on Jay Will. Rookie of the year, obviously, Chad. Uh, underrated player. I think that Casey will also plays super well this year and lost in the in the glitz and glamour of Shea and J-Dub and Chet and Giddy and Dort's more efficient and uh, the, the, how fun this team is will be how good Kaysen is. Surprise player, I think that Usman Jang, like he might not, he might not be like the hitting step backs and 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 scoring 25 points like he was in summer league, but I think that he'll be a, a very competent role player at minimum for this team. And so I think that, that might surprise some people. The most frustrating player, here's the award that no one wants to win. I think it'll be Pokashevsky. And, and not for the reason that like you would think or like the punching bag reason i think it's going to be because i have to assume he won't be able to be consistent but he'll also be able to have months like he did last year in november like like last year he only got to play october november he technically came back from the broken leg and, and you know of course he played some in december too so like october november december he technically came back from the broken leg but he was never the same he shouldn't even be on the court uh, so i i can't hold that against him how he looked in that in that spurt and last year, he was really good, especially in November. And I think that he'll have flashes of November Poku littered and sprinkled throughout the year. But I can't bank on him being um, November Poku for 82 games. And if he only gives you little sprinkles of November Poku, it's going to even further frustrate the fan base because there's there's a large portion of the fan base that I think are wrong that thinks he's a terrible player. There's a large portion of the fan base who like overvalues Poku. And there's not many people in the middle, and the and this kind of this kind of mixed bag of excellent November Poku, and then like what Poku can look like outside of the November production will just further divide those two spectrums. So that's why I have him as the most frustrating player for this year's team. Most entertaining player, a little bit of a curveball. I think Tavis Bertans is going to be really fun because he's going to shoot the ball every time he touches it, and. More often than not, I think he'll he'll come in and shoot four threes, hit three of them, and his night's done. And you're just like, whoa, where what what just happened? Your head is spinning. It's just fun to watch a guy light up the nets for a little bit. Uh, the player that fans will be begging to see more of, <laughs> you know me, I've been begging for more and more and more and more and more and more Wiggins, but 
Aaron Wiggins, until proven otherwise, is going to be the player who fans are going to be left wanting more from. He, To me, he should automatically have a massive chunk of the bench minutes carved out in the rotation. But but knowing Mark and knowing how this team operates, I can't bank on that. So I'll say he's the player that, that people are left wanting more from. The best two-way player, I think, is Kante Johnson. I don't think people are talking enough about Kante Johnson. He's really good. Like He's really good uh, as a as a scorer. I, I, I fully buy into his jump shot at, at K-State. It's translated so far to the preseason and training camp. Uh, and I think that he can shoot the three ball. I think he's a springy, bouncy athlete at the rim. And then defensively, it might take a little bit. Again, rookies defensively do not typically uh, thrive. But the amount of time he's going to spend with Cam Woods, one of the best defensive coaches in basketball, and, and the amount of talent he has within him, I think he can turn into a, a really, really good defender, a high-end defender, uh, especially whenever, you know, his ceiling is like a rotation NBA player. So like he's never going to have to defend superstars for, for, for defending other rotational players. He's going to be excellent uh, because of his, his athletic tools. So I, I think Kathy Johnson will, by the end of the year, prove to be, um, you know, the best two-way player. Most hilarious press conference clips. I've J-Dub. J-Dub already started out with a bang uh, today after practice. He came just sprinting over to the media scrum and, and, and it might be shocking to you. I know who wouldn't want to talk to us, but players typically are not that eager to come over to the, to the little practice scrum, right? And who can blame him? You got to come over there and see my face. You're not going to want to do that either. But he was sprinting and we're like, what is going on? Like, like even, even the PR staff was not prepared to like start his, his press conference. They're like, Whoa, like, why are you running over here? He forgot the pack. They were leaving in a couple of hours and he forgot the pack. He had to go, he had to go home pack and he wanted to get it over with. It's so like just moments like that. I think she will produce the most of, uh, all stars, the Thunder will have one in SGA. Rising stars, Chet, J-Dub, and I think Cason Wallace will be a rising star. I think Isaiah Joe gets into the three-point contest this year, and let's litter in some predictions to end the show. The Thunder will have an all-NBA defender. I'm not going to say who, but but one of Chet or Dort will be on the all-NBA defensive team. All-defensive team for the NBA. I think SGA will once again finish top five in MVP voting. And he might not average 30 points per game this year. And you should be prepared for that. He might not average 30 points per game because he might be elevating his assist. He might be elevating uh, other aspects of his game where guys are helping him lessen the load. And I think lessening that load helps the Thunder big picture wise, especially if they want to uh, make a deep push this season. So it's, I think that Shea will ultimately, no matter how he does in points per game, uh, he'll finish top five in MVP voting again. I think the Thunder will hit their over of 44 and a half win totals on FanDuel. I think that the biggest rival this year, it's been Houston the last couple of seasons. I think it's the Spurs. And I think it's the Spurs because the Spurs fans are going to start to get more, more cocky, more confident with each passing Wimby clip. And then the Thunder and the Spurs have been put on prime time for the play, the, the, the end season tournament for rivals week, like like three of their matchups are on prime time, like on national television where everybody's watching. And when those two guys get together, somebody's going to make a highlight play and it's going to get clipped on social media. And there's going to be moments like the, like the Wimby flex where it's going to be taken completely out of context. And, and it's just like going to blow up and, and the fan bases are going to bicker. And I just believe in the rivalry being rekindled again. And I think that these are two guys who are going to lean into it. Like they're going to fully lean into being rivals on the court. The biggest controversy this year, I think that the, at some point the Thunder will have a four-game losing streak and people will just absolutely 
lose their minds over over a four-game losing streak. And uh, ultimately, it'll level out. But like, I think that's going to be the, the biggest like panic button for the Thunder this year. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Here is a look at the Thunder's first five games. Tonight in the Windy, windy City at the Bulls. Then they fly to, to, to Cleveland and play the Cavs. Kenrich Williams is out for both of these games. Jalen Williams is out tonight in Chicago. Poku is back active tonight in Chicago. Then they play the Nuggets, Pistons, and Pelicans all at home. The Nuggets and Pistons are on the back-to-back. There's a day off, and then they play the Pelicans. That's three games in four nights for the Thunder. So a, a very compact first five games, some pretty talented players. Watch for Jarrett Allen, who might not play on Friday in Cleveland. But ultimately, what you're looking for to start this season tonight, what you're watching for tonight against Chicago it's all about Chet. It's all about Chet tonight. What does he look like? How does he fare when it's full speed, full contact, full go NBA? Uh, it, it's going to be a little bit different than preseason. How does this young core mesh together? And this is going to be an extended look at all four of the core four guys. Like th- there's no holds bars. There's, they're going to play 30 minutes. Just how does that group come together? And the, And another thing I'll leave you with before we go. I'm extremely interested in Lou Dort. Now, whatever happens tonight, good or bad, is not going to make or break his entire season by any stretch. But it's time that, that like, I can keep sitting here and preaching to you that Lou Dort, he shot 40% in the corner every year but his rookie season. Uh, Lou Dort, if he if he is relegated to a more limited offensive role, he can be really efficient. I can keep telling you that. Eventually, it has to happen, though. And so I'm interested to see how it looks now with this team, with this group. So I, I would watch him and Chet in this game. We're going to have a game recap for you immediately after the final buzzer. So make sure you tune in to Lockdown Thunder anywhere you get your podcast from. We made it through the offseason. For those of you who stuck out the entire offseason, the entire summer listening to Locked on Thunder, I really appreciate it. For those of you who are just joining back right now, that's fine. I really appreciate that as well. Uh, and I hope that more of you will continue to join the ride through this season. It's going to be the most fun season of Locked on Thunder yet. I really appreciate all the support. Again, follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow me on YouTube for free. Every podcasting platform for free, Locked on Thunder. Until tomorrow. Be good and be good to one another.